welcome to the All 80s Movies Podcast, the podcast where we talk about the blockbusters, the flops, and everything in between from one of the freshest decades from movies, the 1980s. I'm your host, Bill Banton. Once again, along with me on this ride through 80s movies is Jason Masick. Hello, Jason. Bill Bant, you know what old Jason Masick says at a time like this. Who? Jason Masick. Me. Old Jason always says, what the hell? So, Bill, sit tight, hold the fort, and keep the home fires burning. And if we're not back by dawn, call the president. That's right, my friends. Today's movie is the 1986 cult classic Big Trouble in Little China, starring Kurt Russell, Dennis Dunn, Kim Cattrall, and James Hong. Directed by John Carpenter, the movie is rated PG-13 with a running time of 1 hour and 36 minutes. So what is this movie about? If you went to your local video store in the 80s and found this movie on the shelf, this is what it would read on the VHS jacket. What's on the box? Take it away, Jason. Kurt Russell stars as Jack Burton, a big-talking, wisecracking trucker who's suddenly hurled into a wild adventure even he could never invent. At the root of it all is Lo Pan, a 2,000-year-old evil magician who rules an empire of spirits beneath San Francisco's Chinatown. Doomed to a fleshless existence, he can only be saved by a green-eyed Asian beauty. When the fiancé of Jack's friend is kidnapped by Lo Pan's minions, Jack goes to the rescue. He finds himself dodging demons, grappling with goblins, and facing baffling terrors like the Room of the Upside-Down Hell as he battles his way through the labyrinth of Lopan's dark domain. Imaginatively directed by John Carpenter with an array of amazing special effects and co-starring Kim Cattrall, this action fantasy speeds along with all the surprises, twists, and thrills of a funhouse roller coaster. Big trouble in Little China. Wow, that must have been really small print to get all that on the back of the VHS box. (laughs) (laughs) Holy moly. That was the novel. But, but in a way, you almost need all that to explain this movie because because even John Carpenter described this movie as an action adventure, comedy, kung fu, ghost story, monster movie. Brilliant. I was going to ask you how you were going to categorize it. And Wikipedia has it down as a fantasy martial arts action comedy film, which is somewhat more concise. I don't it's definitely a martial arts film, but I would just keep it simple i'd call it a fantasy action comedy film yeah i agree you could put adventure in there for sure a little romance might as well yeah (laughs) they all in but yeah it's all thrown in there mixed up um and out comes big trouble in little china all right so moving on um earliest memory jason what is your earliest memory of big trouble in little china Well, I can definitely tell you I saw it either on VHS or cable. This is not a film I saw in the theater. I would have been in eighth grade. So I just recall that this film has great action. It was funny. I remember it being very quippy, very quotable. It's all in the reflexes. You know, I mean, like stuff like that is just priceless and timeless. Definitely repeat watches. I mean, I I just... This is a rewatchable film. I watched it so many times when I was a kid. Uh, I recall wondering about Kurt Russell's sort of weird wardrobe with the jeans and what, how do you even describe those boots he's wearing? I, I, I that always stuck in my memory. I want to know what the logo is on his tank top. His uh, Kurt Russell's gun, that tech nine semi auto 
Matic pistol. I actually later on bought a cap gun that was the same design, like similar model, which kind of goes along with my theme here of buying cap guns. Like, I know, Jason, uh, actual... this is the second time you've brought up. I know. I, the I cap did the gun same based thing on a movie. In... Right. The funny thing was, I had mentioned in a previous podcast, our inaugural uh, podcast of Robocop, that I had bought a cap gun similar to the design of the gun in Robocop and then used it in the short film Laser Town that uh, we produced. And this particular cap gun, <laughs> based on the Tech 9 that Kurt Russell uses in Big Trouble Little China, was later used in a different short film we had produced called Hollywood Vigilante. I don't know if you remember that one. Oh, that's hilarious. Yeah, I, I about used that. that cap gun. <laughs> anyway, I, it's, I have a thing for, for cap guns and movie weaponry, movie firearms. Oh, by the way, did you know there's an actual website you can look up? Uh, there's, I can't, there's an acronym that's escaping me right now, but it's about uh, firearms used in movies. No. It's the IMFD, I think, Internet Movie Firearm Database. No, no IMFDB. Way. Yeah. Oh, that's hilarious. So, right. oh, it's guns, yeah, knives, any of that stuff, it's all in there? I think so. I didn't do an extensive search, but you might want to check it out. All right, yeah. Uh, another earliest memory for me as a, again, coming of age, Kim Cattrall, huge crush on her. Oh, yeah. Same, you know, and of course, this came out in 86, so... I'm going, yeah, and I just remember her from Mannequin because that romantic comedy with Andrew McCarthy, of course, big hit. And I was in love with Kim Cattrall. So that I just remember early on. It's just, yep, she's she's a beauty. And she has the green eyes in this film. Very attractive woman. I Earliest memories was just the fact that this film is strange. It's gross. It's cheesy. It's creepy. It's weird. The monster on the bobtail truck on Jack Burton's truck at the very end. Spoiler alert. That creeped me out. That stayed with me as a kid watching it. So those, uh, Bill Band, those are my earliest memories. Okay. What do you got? Yeah, yeah mine's, a, mine's a little bit different. Because um, usually, you know, we talk about earliest memories. It's usually a movie trailer or um, an ad in a newspaper or something like that. And for us growing up as a kid, you know, because we didn't have internet or we usually have to see a trailer or commercial on TV, Entertainment Tonight or something like that. Um, but another thing for me growing up, I was a teenager. So now I was late enough to stay up and watch like Johnny Carson and Letterman. Yep, sure. Absolutely. I and love that Johnny. Was, yeah. and, that, and that was huge because, you know, when these movies were coming out, the stars would come in the week of, they'd plug the movie, they'd show a clip. So that was really one of the first ways I would see something with the movie. And for some reason with this movie, I remember Kurt Russell's appearance on Letterman to talk about oh, this. Oh, wow. And yeah, that's, sure. that's my earliest memory. And I remember him talking about a scene in the film where he had he was talking about how he had to slide down the chute and there's all these rats in the thing. And right. after a while, the rats were getting a little too friendly and stuff like that. So I'm thinking like, oh, this is like Indiana Jones and he's sliding down a chute and it's just going to be a, a room of this huge room full of rats. So I was like super excited to see what they were going to do. And then when I finally see the movie and I'm like, all right, where's this rat scene? Where's this rat scene coming up? Yeah. And they go and he, and he goes down the chute and he lands on the thing of fish. And I'm like, you can only see like two rats in the, in the shot. Right. And I was totally. Like, oh, he totally built this all up. And there wasn't anything that was like he was describing on Letterman. But yeah, that was that was always a big deal to watch 
Carson and Letterman. And for some reason, I just, this Kurt Russell interview stuck in my mind. They really don't talk about that movie that much um, because they, they go more into his uh, shot of trying to be a, a baseball player. Um, I guess he played minor league ball for a long time. And then mm-hmm. when that didn't work out, I guess he got injured or something. Then he went back into doing films. But yeah, that was really my earliest memory was seeing Kurt Russell on Letterman uh, promoting the movie. And then just remembering his opening your newspaper and you would always see the poster of the ad in the paper. And then mm-hmm. it would list all the movie theaters that oh, yeah, it was, it was sure. coming in. Right. I was always Absolutely. excited to be like, Oh, all right. What movie theater is closest to me so I can go see this movie. Just hoping that it's going to be a theater near you. Yeah. Exactly. Or your favorite movie theater, local theater. Sure. But I like everyone else did not see this in the theater. Um, and we'll discuss this later. I mean, this movie totally bombed. I mean, this yeah. is the definition of a cult classic. This movie did not do well at all. Uh, I rented it. Just loved it. it was it was just so bizarre. Just all these actions is just trying to figure out the story. I would just jump. It would it would be like action scene. We're gonna explain a little bit going on. Action scene. Let's explain a little bit going on. But I never really cared about the explanation. I'm just like just just going on to the next action scene. Um, it really yeah. wasn't until really watching the you know get preparing for this podcast where I was really like all right. I really gotta listen to what they're talking about. What all this movie is about. It's like what what they're trying to do. Right. But the the movie's still a lot of fun. Kurt Russell has so many great lines. And I think the big surprise, too, and I don't think I remember catching this the first time I saw it, whereas Jack Burton is not really the hero. Right. It's That's a huge takeaway from watching it now. Yeah. It's Wang. Wang's the one that does all this stuff. Like You just get caught up in the, the comedy of... Jack getting distracted or knocking himself out and then things just I mean he he makes the major spoiler alert the major kill at the end but he really does nothing else he's he's the audience he's just taking us through and just trying to figure out what's going on because everybody else in this movie knows understands what is happening him and the audience we have no idea Right, uh, and so we're really trying to see this through his eyes, but yeah, he is totally inept in this film, and it's hilarious. Yeah, there's a lot to say about that point, actually, because he truly is a blowhard and has an overinflated ego and an overinflated idea of who he is in this movie, and it works so well. It's absolutely hilarious, Bill. On this rewatch, I was laughing out loud repeatedly. He, Kurt Russell, he's the man. And he himself has said that he modeled this character a bit after John Wayne. And not to take anything away from John Wayne, but John Wayne was like this Western uh, hero that was bigger than life. And so it makes sense that Jack Burton in this film would be a bit like that, bigger than life, almost borderline caricature. Right. And just full of hot air no real substance. And I think Carpenter also says, and, you know, we'll get to it maybe a little bit later in the research, we'll dive into it a little bit more, but he liked the idea that this pairing and this action comedy was a little different when you have your protagonist and a sidekick, when you have Jack Burton, and then you have Wang um, as the sidekick, usually the, the lead guy, the protagonist is the hero. He's the one that saves the day. Versus the sidekick. But in this film, the sidekick is the one who actually gets it done. Yeah, he's the one constantly saving the day. And Carpenter liked that aspect about it. 
And it wasn't, people literally didn't get it. The studio didn't get it. They didn't understand it. And they missed, they missed the point. And it was unfortunate because this film was a bit mishandled. They didn't know how to promote it. And they actually had them uh, go back and shoot that opening, the way the film opens, which I think is pretty cool as it turns out. But as an interview with the character named Egg Shen talking about what had happened and building Jack Burton up to be this hero because the studios wanted the audience to feel as though he was the hero, that Kurt Russell, he's the big star. He's the one carrying the movie. He's got to be the hero. But that's not what the movie is. And Carpenter wasn't thrilled about the fact that the studio wanted and had the movie open that way. I agree with him. I It's not necessary at all. It really should start with the truck coming down the road. Yeah, I agree. And what a great opening. I had chills, man. I, I, I was so looking forward to this watch. And as soon as that music kicks in, Bill, uh, that John Carpenter synth, Oh yeah, and I'm just like, here we go. Let's rock and roll. And love this movie, man. I'm just <laughs> like, here comes the truck, and uh, <laughs> it's like, yeah, this is so much fun. And wow, this movie holds up. I mean, wow, man, this movie's just a blast. And yeah, it's so it did not need that opening with that uh, inner the lawyer interview of action, but uh, regardless. When, the, when it does start, it's just, it doesn't stop after that. And I wanted to make one other point. You talked about, you know, Kurt Russell and, and sharing that clip on Letterman and making the Indiana Jones comp, which is fair because you look at the poster and like the VHS cover, right? And uh, it's great. It, it looks like an Indiana Jones poster. There he is standing there and you have Kim Charles, like the damsel in distress at his feet. And by no mistake, you have Drew Struzan doing the art, the cover art, oh, yeah. who's famous for Star Wars, Indiana Jones, Blade Runner, and so many other uh, poster art. Uh, Gorgeous posters. Yeah, he's did absolutely stunning. Yeah. So that's where your mind goes. It's like, this is going to be the Indiana Jones type of adventure. But as it turns out, he's just, he's nothing like. <laughs> no, not at all. Jones. Not at all. Uh, I just thought that was interesting, the Indian, you, but you just can't help but uh, make that Indiana Jones comp. And then, um, so I talked about how I was just laughing. It totally holds up. I was laughing. I was so entertained by this rewatch. I hadn't watched this in a long time. And I, I'll be honest, a lot of the effects actually held up for me. Knowing that it's a 1986 film, I still felt some of the effects, sure, are a little bit cheesy, a little rougher on the edges, but they weren't. Uh, laughable or like they didn't stick out like a sore thumb for me. And last but not least, you know who stood out for me on this rewatch? No. It was James Hong playing Lo Pan. He's excellent, man. Oh, yeah. He's fantastic in this movie. Lo Pan is a character. I mean, he's like a real character. He's way over the top type of character, and it has to be. He's a fantastical, you know, 2,000-year-old evil magician as the what's on the box synopsis states. And he's plays it. He has quite the range in the movie and he does some really weird things with his voice and reaching different octaves. And, and it, James Hong is wonderful in this. And I, I that was a, a takeaway for me on this uh, watching again. Yeah. Watching this movie made me think a lot about Kurt Russell and Kurt Russell's career. We're all big fans of Kurt Russell. 
Kurt Russell has been involved with some really big cult movies. This, uh, the thing, but then I was thinking, wow, he's never really had like that super hit or that film franchise that, that he cares. So I, I, I looked up like what was Kurt Russell's biggest hit as a lead actor? Do you have any idea what, what it is, Jason? I think you might be surprised when I tell you this. I'm going to take he's lead lead. He's the main lead, not so don't count Guardians of the Galaxy. Right, right. Okay. Uh, I've got two that jump out at me. One that, see, now you, you got me thinking it's going to be a dark horse. So, because Tombstone jumps out at me, but that wasn't a huge hit. So, I'm going to go with this one. I'm going to go with Executive Decision. No. Okay. It was Backdraft. Oh, sure. Yeah, Ron Howard, of course. Okay, that makes sense. But listen to this. I mean, Kurt Russell's been acting since 63, I think it was, to to now. And Backdraft's his biggest blockbuster as a lead and only made $77.8 million. That's crazy. But That's he, crazy. Yeah. And you think about it now, like his film franchise might be now the Santa Chronicles movies that he's doing. <laughs> <laughs> that might be his biggest thing. And that's just and that's just crazy. As a lead. Yeah, yeah. for sure. Yeah. And he's rocking it as a uh, supporting character in the Fast and Furious Yeah, exactly. Now. So, yeah, he's been in big movies as supporting characters, but, you know, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, the Gardens of the Galaxy already mentioned, uh, the Fast and Furious franchise. But, yeah, yeah. Him, him himself has never carried a movie past $100 million domestically. Domestically. That just seems odd. Exactly. Because of just how well-liked, how popular he is, and just how good he is. And I think this film is a testament to his talent, as are numerous others. But since we're on the subject of Kurt Russell, my commentary after watching this is that he's got to be one of the most charismatic and lovable leading men we've had in cinema. And the only other comp, as far as another actor in that category, I'm, I'm going to put Patrick Swayze in this category right now is that I felt like with Patrick Swayze, he could, he had this uncanny ability to carry any film, no matter how bad it was mm-hmm. or make it work, I should say, and carry them. I think Kurt Russell has that ability as well. He, I, big trouble in little China does not work at all. Not one bit without Kurt Russell. Just like a roadhouse doesn't work with Patrick Swayze. Right. Ghost might not work without Patrick Swayze. Escape from New York, does that work without Kurt Russell? I mean, we sometimes go back and we say, yeah, I can't see, for instance, Indiana Jones. I can't see uh, Tom Selleck playing Indiana Jones. I can only see, but that's because that's all we have. I mean, we've right. seen Harrison Ford in that role. I get it. And, you know, but I mean, I think... Raiders of the Lost Ark, for instance, is a great film regardless oh, yeah. of, you know, you could have had someone else maybe play the lead role. It's still an excellent film all around in all aspects. Big Trouble in Little China is such a strange film. And I'm not saying from a technical perspective, it's not good. It's just that Kurt Russell carries it. He does. He yeah. just does. And it's funny you said Patrick Swayze because the actor that came to my mind when I was thinking about, I was like, he's Bruce Campbell plus. 
Oh, sure. Just a really likable presence on screen, but he's he gets the A work, where Bruce yeah. Campbell gets the B work. Kurt Russell's a little bit better looking, but he gets the A work, where Bruce Campbell is just likable. Oh, I don't know. I'm, the... I'm a little partial to, to the, the handsomeness of Bruce Campbell. I... No, I'm not. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I, just, I think he's uh, handsome. Yeah. I think Bruce Campbell is a little bit, he's got a little, he's a little rougher on the, he can be a bit stark. He can, he can be, a, let's, for lack of a better word, he can be a real dick, which is part of his charm. Right. Which works, but Kurt Russell, man, that guy's, he's hard to not like. Yeah. Especially all these films he did with uh, John Carpenter. They're just, they're, he developed three iconic roles with yeah. Carpenter. You know, you got Jack Burton, you got McReady on the thing, and you got yeah. Snake Plissken with Escape from New York. And even, we'll have to say Escape from L.A., but... Right, yeah. And I want to backtrack for a second. I say it with all love regarding Bruce Campbell. Like, I am a huge Bruce Campbell fan. I, I wish he was, you know, after... I don't know if we'll have a touch upon Evil Dead or Army of Darkness at any point, but, I mean, that's that guy should be in everything as well. But I think as far as carrying a film... That is a little bit off center. Kurt Russell is the man. No, I agree. I yeah, I couldn't really see anyone anyone else uh, doing this role. Yeah, it's just fun. Even and he's so many great lines, so many great lines in this movie. His delivery is impeccable. Oh yeah, he's just flying the entire time. Right from here's my first Indiana Jones comp is actually uh, it's not in my favorite scenes or scenes that blew my skirt up, but just right from the get the opening when he arrives in San Francisco and he's goes into Chinatown to make his delivery with the, with the, uh, the truck haul an ass pork chop express. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't get any better than that. Come on. It's so great. <laughs> and it's just like from the get go, you're like, all right, this is a character. I mean, he's talking on the CB radio, which I have a comment on later that just comes in. But that opening scene when he's gambling, playing the card game with Wang and the other guys at the table, and it's just like, Oh, this is just like Raiders lost Ark. It made me think of, you know, they're all drinking around the table. Oh, yeah. It's kind of a way they how you you introduce uh, characters. Like there's some typical things, that, like scenes that are just great ways to introduce your characters. And that's one of them. Just put them at a card table. Mm-hmm. And then you get, that's a great way to, you know, get a little exposition, little uh, character revelation. So, but that's when I was just like, oh, this is so much fun. And you just see Kurt Russell immediately. You can tell he's having fun. Oh, yeah. And, but he, in creating the character and being the character, and he's just high energy the whole time, just just killing it. Oh, yeah. So he's always at a 10, or if it's a spinal tap, always. he's at an 11. But he may, yeah. What did you think? Because I was, I was trying to figure this out in the, in the beginning, watching it this time. His relationship with Wang. Do you think they were good friends? Great question. Because I, I, I kind of wasn't sure. Like, sometimes I thought, like, oh, they've known each other for a long time. And then other times I was kind of like, uh, maybe they're just more, you know, he just does deliveries for the restaurant. That's really how they just know each other. That's kind of what I got a sense of is that clearly they have a history, but it is also purely circumstantial. It is only because he makes those deliveries in Chinatown. It's not as if I don't see Jack Burton calling Wang up and saying, hey, you know what? We haven't seen each other in a while. I'm going to fly into San Fran. And let's go out, you know, let's hang out for, can you put me up for a couple nights? Let's hang out. I haven't seen you in a while, buddy. Right. That's probably not happening. He only hangs out with Wang when he happens to be in town on delivery. Like you said, that just, 
but that the fact that he's done it, you do get a sense of the history. You get a feel of that. It's that he's done it so many times that they have a camaraderie and some sort of, they have uh yeah, camaraderie is the word. I mean, they just, they have a back and forth. They know how to talk to one another, bounce off each other. But, but Wang is already telling when they hop into the truck, when they're going to the airport to pick up uh meow Lin mm-hmm. is uh he's telling you about it. It's like, Oh, Jack, Jack doesn't know a lot about Wang's history. Because right. Wang's telling him some like this. He te- Wang literally tells him his like upper, like how he came over and worked hard to, to build his own business and how he, he did it all for to get to have Meow come and, and marry her and things like that. It's like, oh, so Jack doesn't know any of this. Mm-hmm. So they're friends, but they're not friends. Right. Yeah. Because, you know, in the beginning, you know, he's go to the airport to, to pick up Meow. And then the stakes get higher. Yeah, there's there's some money involved that he needs to collect, but at a point too, you're just kind of like, all right, sorry, you're you're on your own. But the fact that he keeps going along to help, that's when it's kind of like maybe they maybe they are better friends than what I'm initially thinking, or is he just caught up in the adventure that he just wants to see it through? I don't know. I think that's where again he's playing against type like as in he's kind of like this bumbling fool. However, that's Jack Burton, that, that being Kurt Russell, but there, he does have heroic qualities. And one of those is that he does stick by Wang throughout. Mm-hmm. He won't leave him. And he feels like the right thing to do is to follow through with this on this journey and getting Mia Lin back for his friend. But you're correct. It, you know, it's just a great question, Bill, because when it, first entered my mind was the fact that after the gambling all night long and uh, Jack has won all the money and Wang says, what, nothing or double? He says, let's right. play for nothing or double, which is hilarious. <laughs> he keeps saying it. And yeah, exactly. Jack never calls him out on it. Yeah. Which is great. It's perfect because mm-hmm. he, he knows that's how Wang talks. Mm-hmm. Says, uh, I'll use my machete to chop this bottle in half and he doesn't do it. So he loses now he owes Jack $2,000 or whatever it is. And Jack, if they were like best friends, like if that happened, Bill, if you said nothing or double, which would just make me laugh, uh, and you lost, I wouldn't make you pay. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't. You're, too, you, you're like a brother to me, right? You're like a lifelong friend. I mm. think I would think, you know, it'd be fun. It would be a joke, but I would mm-hmm. not hold you to it. I just wouldn't. I'd be like, I already made a thousand dollars overnight. I'm t- I'm going to take my money and and call it call it a day. But he wants the money. He's like, I want you know, give me the money. And he doesn't even trust him to drive separately mm-hmm. to go get it. So it's like, okay, <laughs> they're, they're not that good friends. But then when shit starts to hit the fan, Jack's not going to leave him. Right. He's going to do the right thing. So there is there is a bond. There's some sort of macho male bonding thing going on there, too, on top of it all. Yeah, I was actually hoping at some point in the movie, when I first saw it, that we would actually see the bottle get cut in half at some point. That he would actually oh, yeah. do that. I was so disappointed. I was like, wait, what? He's going to cut a bottle in half? How, how is this going to come off? So, yeah, I was kind of bummed, to be honest. But 
It's all in the reflex. That was a good. That's catch. right. It's so all was... set up for uh, then a callback later to that line. Should we move on to our favorite scenes? Let's do it. All right. Uh, you want to go first? Uh, sure. I'll go first. So the first scene that blew my skirt up happens early in the film. It's the entire fight sequence in the Chinatown back alley between the, the Changsing gang and the Wing Kong gang. When the three storms enter and Lo Pan makes his appearance with his creepy voice and the light coming out of his eyeballs and his mouth hole. And yeah. I mean, who thought up this scene, Bill Bands? I mean, this scene craziness. is fan freaking tastic from choreography to just setup. When you have Jack Burton and Wang in the truck driving down a back alley cramped between these buildings, now they're in. You can tell, too, it's kind of funny because you see them in the streets. And I know a lot of this film was shot on the Fox lot, mm-hmm. but uh, some of the beginning was, you know, uh, shot on location just to establish that they were in Chinatown. But you can kind of see the transition when they go down the alley and then the smoke comes in. It's like, oh, they turned on the smoke machines. Now <laughs> they're on a back lot on a studio somewhere. And uh, but it completely works because it's that transition from reality to fantasy. Now oh, yeah. we've moved into the underworld, like the dark underbelly. So it completely works. And then you have this funeral procession. Yeah. And then, and Wang is kind of narrating the whole thing, telling Jack who these characters are. And they all appear. And then this action martial arts sequence unfolds. And then the fantasy really kicks in when the three storms drop in and it's a blast. It's great. That's my first nomination for favorite scene. And I have a quick question for you. Now, this is what's fun about doing this podcast is doing the research because it's uh, now I'm just more in love with this film than I was before because I'm getting into the lore of it. And that's my wheelhouse. I love that stuff. Did you know that the three fantasy, like the three sidekicks of Lopan, his henchmen, let's just call them, were the three storms? They say it in the film. But yeah. it's very quick. I never knew that's that they were thunder, rain, and lightning. I, I knew they each had like quote unquote elemental aspects, but I didn't know they were known as by those titles. I don't. I don't think I did either. I I think because like I said, watching it for the podcast, I was paying way more attention to it. So I knew watching this time they were thunder, rain, and lightning. Right. If you asked me a decade ago. And said, "Who were the? You know, who were the? I would, I wouldn't probably have an answer for you. I might, I, yeah, I cool. might guess. I, because you know what? I kept thinking Thunder was wind going into mm-hmm. this, and then this is the first time I realized, oh, he's not wind, he's thunder. So I probably would have got rain and lightning correct. I would have got thunder wrong. I would have said it was wind. I would have uh, said I it was wind, rain, and lightning. I, I just was like, oh, these are the cool, weird henchmen that each have their own individual powers that." Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, uh, I wouldn't know that was an actual name. I would have said that's what they represent. And then right. they, yeah, if their actual you. names were, I'm like, oh, I don't know what Lightning's name is. And they'd be like, no, it is Lightning. I'm like, oh, okay. You have Lightning actually shooting like lightning bolts, electron, right. like, like electric sparks. You have Thunder. Now, is there Thunder noise associated with him at times? I guess with Rain. Yeah, you see Rain happen sort of exactly but he's using his sword he's good at the sword play Mm -hmm. 
but you don't really see it's not like he's it's raining wherever he's walking which would have been hilarious if that was the case yeah but he's just followed by a rain cloud the entire time mm-hmm. but you can see why i would call thunder wind because he was always doing the breathing thing absolutely so it had something to do with air but yeah, yeah. saying it's thunder i'm like no i didn't get that at all so that was my first favorite scene but the, yeah, that is such a crazy scene because outside of watching, you know, Kung Fu theater as a kid on Saturday afternoons, you don't really see a fight like that. And it's just hilarious, too, because like you said, a funeral procession is happening and all of a sudden these bad guys show, show up, shoot up a corpse for some reason. And then all hell breaks loose. And you're like, what the hell is going on? And here you have your two heroes who are just sitting in the truck. They're doing nothing. And they're just narrating. So you, <laughs> so you as the audience, yeah, you as the audience can understand, you know, understand what's going on. And then. Um, and they're shooting guns, too, yeah. which was kind of a first. I remember saying, oh, this is not just martial arts. These uh, martial artists also are using machine guns mm-hmm. and pistols. But so I like the fact they actually run out of yeah, I love they actually run out of bullets, and then it's like, okay, we're out of bullets, let's fight now. <laughs> yeah. And then did you ever notice, because I definitely didn't notice the first couple of times I, I saw this, was that you see James Hong in the very beginning when they're driving down the alley, and he does like a quick peek. It's almost like he's another form. He's just like in a regular outfit. Oh, yes, it's very yeah. subtle. Right? Yeah, very he, subtle. It looks like he's just an old man onlooker. Yeah, exactly. And behind a wall, just kind of peeking around. Yeah, I yeah. didn't understand what that meant, but it was just kind of cool. Yeah, now, in like, retrospect, I'm not sure what the point of that was, as if he was just kind of overseeing what was about to ensue, as if he kind of knew what was about to unfold. It was as if there was a little foreshadowing there. Yeah. So uh, what's your uh, first favorite scene? First favorite scene is the fight scene with... Wang and Jack when they're um, in the um, I can't remember the name of the place the Hong Kong Exchange yes the Wing Kong Exchange Wing Kong Exchange thank you and it's the first time we really realize that <laughs> Wang is the one that's the hero where, <laughs> yes. where Jack goes to, to pull out his knife and just tosses it away and yeah. uh, Wang just <laughs> kicks the crap out of everyone and then you just yeah, see yeah he's a badass yeah he's a badass and then you see um, Jack Burton jump in with the ha! and everyone's just oh. knocked out when he does the <laughs> yeah <laughs> sorry the, the, no, that's, like that's, John that's, Wayne there for a second when yeah. he just, you did it better you did it better but he just jumps out and says ha yeah it's uh, I thought that was the funniest thing as a kid when yeah. I saw it as a kid I it was like that is amazing he missed the entire fight Wang beat the crap out of everybody. He didn't do a damn thing. And he has Kurt Russell. They really uh, play it up. They cut to him a few times with his expression of just being embarrassed. But Kurt Russell, is his expression is priceless. Yeah, and it's, it's so great because like, like, oh, well. watching it as a kid, you you find the comedy in it where it's like, oh, he's supposed to be mm-hmm. in this fight and he's, and he's running off to find his knife. But now when you're watching, you're, you're, that's when you realize like, oh, Wang is the real hero. You know, that's when exactly. you realize like, oh yeah, the roles are reversed. And you know, Jack Burton is Robin and, and Wang is, is Batman. Yep. And it's funny because yep. there, there's actually a deleted scene um in the DVD that I had where there was actually an extra guy in that, like this huge guy that 
last guy that Wang, uh, Wang's supposed to fight. And Kurt Russell uses a knife and kills him on it. Oh. So he kills the last guy. And I'm kind of like, I'm glad they cut that out. Because Absolutely. then, it, yeah, then it, it really misses the whole message of the, of the film. Um, so yeah, That's if for some reason you can find that scene, yeah, there, there's, there's actually, yeah, I meant to look up some deleted, I never, I didn't get to it. I, I want to watch some of the deleted scenes. I know there's an alternate ending as well. I don't oh, know if yeah. that was on the DVD or not, but yeah, so, I'll, I'll tell you what that is. So, um, in the additional ending, the Lords of Death, who are the ones take Mao Yin, they find them at the end and they're parked by a dock and, right. uh, Jack Burton takes up the, the pork chop express and runs into their car and knocks it, knocks it into the water. So yeah. And I guess audiences felt that was a bit too dark as if it was too vengeful. Yeah. Uh, I don't, I didn't so, think so, but I, I still, I want to watch it though. Okay. I want to be the judge. I'm sure it's somewhere on YouTube. Oh, I'm sure. So that, by the way, that scene with uh Wayne kicking everybody's ass and Jack jumping out too late. Uh, that was on my list as well. Oh, okay. Yeah. So it's just, it's just, it's too funny. Cause again, as a kid, it was one of my favorite scenes. Mm -hmm. All right. What does he have for favorite scenes? I am going to go with uh, two really quick back to back. When Egg Shen has kind of taken the lead because we discover he has a lot of knowledge of this underworld uh, and the magic. He is a sorcerer himself, Mm -hmm. even though he poses as a tour guide during the day. Ikshen has gathered some of the Chang Sing, who are the quote-unquote good gang, good guys, and combined efforts with Wang and Jack Burton. They're going to go back into the underworld, and they're going to get Lopan, and they're going to rescue Miao Lin. Lin? Am I saying that? Miao Lin? Is that her name? Uh, so... <laughs> Uh, Egg Shen has cooked up his potion that everybody's got to drink and that's going to enable them to kind of enter the dream state and, and enable them with the dream power so they can fight the spiritual creatures of the underworld. I just love this scene because, first of all, Wayne gets all patriotic before they do the toast, and he's very all-American, which is funny because this is very... Obviously, he's a Chinese-American and everything, but he gets very patriotic, and, and Jack Burton kind of chimes in. They they toast, they drink the potion, but the scene in the elevator, when they're all buzzed off the potion, gets me every time because they're all warm and fuzzy, and they're all just kind of smiling, looking at each other. <laughs> the hand gesture, yeah. And they do the thing, and then Jack Burton's like, you know what? I'm doing pretty incredible. Wang's like, yeah, I'm, I'm feeling pretty positive about moving. <laughs> I'm paraphrasing, but I love that scene. And then that leads right into the big uh, kind of quote-unquote finale uh, action sequence with Egg Shen facing off with Lopan. That's a ton of fun because then you got Wang flying around with Rain, one of the big storm or three storm villains. That's a lot of fun. Oh, yeah, and, Crouching Tiger. I mean, they yeah, totally, right? totally lifted that. Completely, every I think every movie's just ripped off Big Trouble ever since. <laughs> this is where it all began. Yeah, but um, obviously Jack Burton shooting the ceiling and it knocks him out. He's like MIA for half the sequence. He stabs one of those huge guards with the big sword. This guy fall, the guard falls on top of him, incapacitating Jack Burton once again. He again is missing for most of the, the battle when Wang's doing a lot of the work or Egg Shen's doing most of the work. So. 
that uh, those two scenes, again, being in the elevator, a little buzzed off the potion, and then that action sequence, mm-hmm. two of my other favorite scenes. So my, my favorite scene, if you asked me if I was a kid, this I would say this was it. But watching it again this time, and I think I just love the way it was shot, was the whole airport scene. Oh, where sure. You, Interesting. Uh, yeah, where you meet um, you know, Gracie Law, him and Wang go to pick up Miao Yin, and then the Lord's Death show up, and the whole scene where Miao Yin comes in, and the way they, they shoot that, where it's like close up, close up, close up, close up, and the, and the music picks up, and they really only do that one medium shot of Tara, who's the girl that Gracie Law is there to pick up, and then it goes right. back to the close up, close up, Lord to Death grab Tara, and you're kind of like, what's going on here? Um, just yeah, just the buildup of all that. They're just showing all the different characters and now how it all uh, culminates together. And I was like, oh, this is really cool. There's, there is a lot of like tension, action, and then there's almost like that little comedy bit in the beginning where you know Jack's trying to hit on Gracie, and Gracie's just like having nothing to do with him. Oh, it's the banter is wonderful. And then, you know, he looks back at Wang like, oh, I I got this, and yeah, then he right. turns around and Gracie's <laughs> disappearing. It's, it's just great because it just has that. It starts out with that little mix of comedy, and then it does the, the tension, and then it, it cuts right into the action. And you know, the Lords of Death take on uh, Jack real quick. It's a great sequence. It's a great scene. That's a good call, Bill Bam. Yeah, it's my I, favorite I, scene. It's a good call. Uh, and here's it just reminded me too because now in my mind's eye I'm seeing Kurt Russell, aka Jack Burton, when he looks back at Wang like you said, like yeah, I got this. Uh, she, she, you know, I'm I'm working this situation here, mm-hmm. and he turns back around and Gracie's gone, and the older Asian American woman is standing there, and then he quickly turns his head back. It's genuinely funny. I'm watching this film, and it's not just because I sort of remember or know what's coming. This. I'm laughing out loud. He's, Kurt Russell's freaking hilarious in this movie. Everything, mm-hmm. uh, everything. He's going for it and it works on every level. But yeah, and this is the thing too, because like Wang's reaction is almost like that reaction, like, yeah, I've seen him do this before kind of thing. Right. So that's, that's, so that's, I was kind of like, maybe they are better friends. Yeah. Than he's, I'm the, thinking. Yeah. The word I was escaping earlier was chemistry. I said camaraderie chemistry, yeah. a couple of times, but they do have chemistry. Yeah, they seem to understand. They have an understanding. Uh, they just they're bros. Yeah, so that's great. That's that's a really good call. Uh, my favorite scene uh, is near the end. It's when Jack kills Lopan, and it may just be for the quote, "It's all in the reflexes," because mm-hmm. it's just the coolest. Yeah, uh, I love that scene. Jack Burton does get to be a hero finally, and. Uh, that's quintessential Jack Burton slash Kurt Russell. I it's just, I love it. It's just fun. And then you have uh thunder blowing up right after that. Oh yeah. That whole crazy chaotic sequence when thunder goes after Wang and you see them running back and forth and the furniture is getting tossed. Oh yeah. Just, uh, <laughs> I can, I can just see the grips just like going. Oh yeah. It's the, comical. Grab the table. It's farcical. It's comical. Yeah. It's so that entire sequence there at the end in Lopan's chamber there is is a, it's a ton of fun. That's my favorite. Scene. Yeah, but it, yeah. it does start out where kind of funny where he tries the knife the first time and totally completely messes. Yeah. completely yeah. messes and just the reaction it's, from him and Gracie is just priceless. not to mention this entire time his lipstick 
all over his face. Oh yeah. Uh, all over his lips, I should say, mm-hmm. which it's is hilarious. funny because Kurt Russell would don lipstick once again, not too many years later, opposite, uh, playing opposite Sylvester Stallone and Tango and Cash. He mm-hmm. has a scene where he dresses up in drag, which is pretty funny. It's like, you know, yeah, how many movies do we see where, you know, uh, couples kiss and the lipstick never, mm-hmm. never rubs off. And I'm like, that is what really happens. That so he does that whole thing with the lipstick on his lips. Not only his lips, I'd love that it's on his tooth, too. That even makes it more hysterical. <laughs> I could stuck on his tooth. I'm just like, oh, that's just And awesome. he's just trying to act so cool the whole time. Mm-hmm. I would love being the continuity person on that one. Like, yeah, Kurt, I got to get lipstick on that. Yeah, that tooth right there. Yeah, we would put it on that one. Okay, good. All right, here we go. Soundtrack. You want to talk about the music? Yes, let's talk about the music. Of course, it's a John Carpenter movie, so that means there must be a John Carpenter score. Yeah. I know it's synth heavy, but I love it. Just that. Oh, completely. Yeah, and just like that occasional high note yeah i just yeah the synth mixed with the rock and roll so he went against you know that typical especially at that time whenever you have like a martial arts slash film or uh ethnic film it has a little bit of flavor like it was so it's stereotypical when you have chinese japanese you hear like pan flutes and things like that but he went against that and uh stuck with what he's good at that synth rock and roll. And you always hear that synth like the. And it's oh, yeah. like, yeah, it's, it's very John Carpenter. You can, even to this day, if you hear something like that, you're like, oh, that sounds like a John Carpenter mm-hmm. uh, theme. So my question for you is though, do you have a favorite Carpenter theme song from some of his bigger films like Halloween, The Thing, oh, yeah. Escape from New York? I mean, these are great soundtracks. Yeah, Halloween's. It's so iconic. You can't, it's really you can't the escape that no brainer. Yeah. yeah. It's so ingrained, mm-hmm. you know, and it's still so effective and impactful. Oh, yeah. It scares me when I hear that music. It's just creepy. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It works. Just, I think I, I remember kind of playing that in the house, and my kids don't know anything, but are like, What are you listening to, Dad? I yeah. don't like that. Can you say, Yeah. So. Even and you think about visuals. it, that's got to be up there with one of the most recognizable movie themes of all time. Oh, yeah, definitely. Right. I mean, you could put that easily in the top 10 next to Jaws, Raiders Lost Ark, Star Wars. Yeah, I concur. If anybody heard it, they would definitely know what that is. But then, you know, as, as much as I, I like the score, his theme song at the end. I I was saving that for later. <laughs> Big trouble. That's the whole. That's the whole song. Yeah. Big trouble. Oh my. Oh no. Was that like, was a mistake. Yeah, that was a mistake. I was. I was like, could he have at least used that to explain the movie a little bit in there, so it would make a little more sense? But no, it's three minutes of big trouble. So that ending song was written and sung by the Cudavilles, a band formed by John Carpenter, Nick Castle, and Tommy Lee Wallace, who was the second unit director on the film. Not not good. Uh, hilarious. It, if you want a good laugh, though, you have to listen to that track. Or just yeah. you know, watch the movie and watch the, the end credits. Yeah, I'm kind it of bummed. part of the humor. I'm kind of bummed because I think, um, this is probably over a decade ago, that Carpenter actually went on tour 
and did the music from his movies and had that and played that song too. I, I, oh would, love to, I would love to have seen that live. That, ah, oh, that would have been amazing. Yeah. Cause you think of all the great 80s songs that go with movies and, um, this is probably in the bottom 10. <laughs> <laughs> I won't put it. I'm not going to say the worst because everyone says the worst. It's bottom 10. It's oh, yeah. bottom 10. I wish we, uh, we have to, I wish we just cue the music right I know, now. I wish we could. I and wish have I it play on repeat throughout the rest of this pod. Exactly. <laughs> Want to move on to our uh, Swiss cheese segment? Yeah, let's go to Swiss cheese. All right. <laughs> so... Although this movie is delicious, it does have holes. Thus, we call it the Swiss cheese segment. Bill, did you find any holes in this movie? Well, it's funny that you mentioned that because uh, my first point is I noticed there's a lot of magic bullets in this movie. Oh, okay, yeah. So, you know, we were talking about one of our favorite scenes, the fight scene between the uh, Chang Sing and, and the Wing Kong. And they open up with the machine guns and they're just shooting crazy. The pork chop express did not take a bullet. Did you notice that? Uh, you know, I think somewhere in the back of my mind. Yeah. You would have expected that, uh, like the classic shot, like it gets shot in the grill and the radiator blows or something like that. Yeah. Nothing. Maybe it has its own magical powers. Maybe there's something subtle that was being told to us that we just, you know, mm-hmm. didn't realize until this very moment. And then the magic bullets show up again when Jack Burton and, and Wang um, free all the slave girls and they all jump in eggs bus. And Oh, the, yes, that. And I they come caught out. that. Yeah, and they cut up and totally shoot up the side of the bus and everyone is A-OK. A-OK. Because bullets only penetrate and break windows. They can't go through the side right. of the bus. <laughs> I was like, Anyone on that left side of the bus is dead They're right done. now. Is yeah. dead right now. It's riddled with bullets. Yeah. And then the magic bullets appear again when at the end of the movie and, and Jack finds his truck and they all open fire on him and completely, was it like 10 guys completely miss him as he runs to his truck? Oh, yeah, yeah. That classic. <laughs> the, the classic, I'm going to zig and zag a little bit or i'm actually going to run in like a semi-circle around to the far wall and that way they're not going to be able to hit me yeah once again they all learn shooting at the star trooper school there it is i don't know how many times we're going to bring up star trooper school when it comes to people and their shooting but at least at least nick them (laughs) at least nick them but yeah so there was a there was a lot of there was a lot of uh, magic bullets i noticed in this movie that's great. That was my big uh, Swiss cheese. So I don't have a lot of holes. I have more of a, just like a general commentary on on issues I had. Okay. Um, so I may have to somehow rename this segment for the way I'm going to lay it out. But That's okay. So the three storms, they're hats. I have a fashion statement here. Yeah. Not functional nor practical. No, not at all. Uh, not too easy to see through those things and kind of they're a little little obnoxious a little awkward a little uh they get there's a little little bit there so uh, that always cracks me up because they obviously it's a style it, it kind of looks cool from a distance but then you're like wait a minute how the hell do they see through these things oh yeah because even when they introduce them and they kind of have to shoot the camera up like like up, up their nose to see them <laughs> and they're always they're always lifting too they're always lifting their heads so they can see so i'm like 
just take off the hat. Just just take it off. Do some trim the brim. Pull it. Yeah, just angle it back. It's not protecting from the rain. So <laughs> take it off. Not re- yeah, protecting. It's not protecting you from the elements. Seeing no. as though you are the, the elements. elements. All right. So here is something that I picked up on that John Carpenter uh, explains for me later on in the in the research. But I am on board one hundred percent. I am on this roller coaster. I'm on the ride. It is the like. It's over the top. It's ridiculous. It's strange. It's weird. But Kurt Russell is selling it. I'm buying it. Now, as soon as Kim Cattrall comes in out of the rain at Wang's restaurant and becomes part of the group, she's taken to the next level. She is overacting. And the movie's fun kind of takes a turn for me, but then it goes like cheese ball because she's kind of cheesy. She's over the top. But I warm up to her as the movie goes on and I'm going to take a step back because I was very critical. I'm like, wow, she's really overdoing it. And then in my IMDb research, John Carpenter says this, and I'm paraphrasing that the characters in the film, it reminded him of characters from films like bringing up baby or his girl Friday, which are very 1930s, like Howard Hawks people and the rapid fire delivered dialogue between Jack Burton and Gracie laws, an example of what, you know, Carpenter was referring to and what he was going for. So that kind of makes sense that she was kind of playing that type of character in this world. So that excuses her. I agree with you too. I thought watching it this time, I was kind of like, Ooh, yeah, what's going on. But as the movie went on, it's, it just seemed to fit more. Yeah. I think it was bracing when it first happened. And then it kind of just, oh, okay, no, that works. It's kind of who she is, I guess. I was like a little spastic, I guess. Yeah, 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 completely. Yeah, she's eccentric, Mm -hmm. this eccentric lawyer. We don't really get much of her background, do we? We really don't know what the hell she's doing there. That's in one one of the deleted scenes. Okay. Yeah, so supposedly one of the deleted scenes is um, she lived in China with her parents who were missionaries, and they were killed and then she came back to the States as a child. And that's why she just wanted to dedicate herself to helping Chinese people come over because she saw, yeah, the stuff that's going over there. So yeah, that very good, much of a downer. So I can see why they cut that out. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Did you have another hole? I just want someone to explain to me the creature, not the one in the sewer, the the creature the the monkey guy i had to look it up to find out what it was called it's it's called the chinese wild man who told it to do what like you never saw it really interact with any of the other actors so it's just kind of bizarre that it just kind of popped up and just grabs gracie and then just oh, yeah. kind of knows the chainer and then he kind of shuffles off but they, there's no interaction i mean it was cool when you were a kid but now watching it i was like it's bizarre random exactly random it's Mm -hmm. weird and i don't it it is a little out of place but at the same time is it because it's this weird world and it lives in that sort of cavern with the chains where gracie's chained up for for a moment but it doesn't it like it kidnaps her but it doesn't really attack her or scratch her or harm her Mm -hmm. and so i have a whole nother theory like theory when 
I'm just going to step on this a little bit right now because we're going to talk about the potential of a remake, a reboot slash sequel mm-hmm. toward the end of this pod. And I, I have a theory that this creature may be actually quite friendly, quite amiable, and may actually not be there to harm Jack Burton. He's stowed away on the bobtail truck, and uh, I think they become friends. And I think it turns into a buddy situation, you know, mm-hmm. um, another like kind of a buddy adventure, uh, fantasy adventure, but it's starring Jack Burton and the creature. So anyway, I, but great question. I don't know what the hell that creature oh, yeah, it's is, supposed what, to be what purpose from, it serves. What I understand, like a half werewolf, half Nosferatu, but I'm okay. like, but where so is it's part of the Chinese lore? Maybe. Fantasy. It's the Chinese wild man? That's what it's called. Yeah, I had to look up what the name of this was because it's like, yeah, what? That's what they call it. That's the what it's called in the movie. Like, as in, I don't know like, if it's in it, the credit thing, but when I had to look up just online to see, like, what what was that thing called? And they were just like, <laughs> it was the sewer monster. Right. I was like, no, I'm not looking for the sewer monster. And then they called the other thing. It was called the Chinese Wild Man. That's what that creature was called. But yeah, like I said, no one ever talks to it. No one like treats no. it like it's a pet that does their bidding. Yeah, it's just, it, it just clearly comfortable around the bad guys. Exactly, but they don't really acknowledge it. Yeah, did someone conjure it up? I don't know. It just, <laughs> it just, it just, it just became bizarre to me as as a kid. Yeah. You know, whatever. It's just another weird element of the film. But as an adult, you're kind of like, yeah, what? Yeah, what, what is what this thing's point? And then it just pops out of the truck at the end. So I don't know. It's just the Chinese wild man. I don't know if anybody knows. Please email us. Bill, you're a Chinese wild man. (laughs) All right, what else do you got for Swiss cheese? All right, I'm going to try and run through these. Uh, So Wang's restaurant is called Dragon of the Blackpool Cantonese Cuisine. Bill Bant, would you you dine at a place called the Blackpool? What's inside the Blackpool? Death. Death. That's, That's what's inside the Blackpool. I would not want to eat at a place called the Blackpool. I just, I'm saying there's probably a reason they're the only ones eating at their own restaurant. That's true. We never see any customers in there, do we? <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I, I thought that at one point, I'm like, when does this place open? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no I kidding. mean, we, we see, we see the uncle preparing food at one point, but I'm like, yeah, where, where's the customers? And all, all, the only, the only other person, you know, that works is Eddie. Right. He's the Eddie Lee, the maitre d'. Yeah, right? the maitre d'. And then Wikipedia describes his character, I believe, as a like a wealthy businessman or entrepreneur of some sort. I'm like, how? Where did you get that from? Yeah, I don't know where the hell they picked that up from. Rest is sharp, but outside of that, no, I just thought he was Wang's buddy, who's mm-hmm. the maitre d of his own rest. Okay, so uh, after the brothel action sequence, when the this oh that brings up another issue I had. Yeah, go ahead. Here's a here's a question for you. Because the Lords of Death, uh, just by it is by accident, they grab Miao Lin. Because initially they're going after, I'm sorry, I forget, uh, Gracie Law's girl. What's her name? Tara? Tara. They were there for her. They're going to grab her. But because Jack Burton intervenes, they end up grabbing Miao Lin. And the Lords of Death then go to uh, sell her off as a sex slave at the White Tiger. Mm-hmm. where now Miao Lin is being held captive, but she is tied up by the madam of the brothel. And supposedly, are we to understand that's how the th- 
three storms knew Mialin was there because the Lords of Death did not kidnap Miaolin for Lopan. No. And I didn't understand that for the longest time either, and probably until this watching either. And first I first you gotta feel bad for Mao Yin. Here she is in the United States for the first time, and she's been kidnapped twice within twenty four hours. Oh, that's, no kidding. Yeah, Am I saying I've been saying Meow Lin this is it Meow Yin? Yeah, I think it's Meow Yin. Damn it. That's no. all right. Sorry, world. Meow yin. Meow. I'm just gonna say meow from now on. One of us have it right. Right. Yeah, because I originally thought they were kidnapping her for Lopan, and then... We learned that they're just errand boys, and that they brought her to the White Tiger, and they sold her off to the brothel. Yeah. But then the madam seems to know something's up, because she's tied up. Mm -hmm. So maybe it's the madam contacted. But one of my favorite parts is actually when the three storms show up, and the madam goes running. Oh, yeah. She goes flying, flying through the wall as a result of an explosion. So after that sequence, when they're all like, what the hell happened? Meow Lin just got kidnapped now by three storms. Lopan's got her. Margot has a whole explanation, like expositional, like overly expositional monologue about David Lopan. And so I'm sorry, I said Margot, but Gracie has one too. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a lot of exposition in that scene. There's just a lot of that just trying to tell the audience who exactly Lopan is. But at the end, there's just a great quote from Jack Burton after Gracie finally shuts up or he shuts her up. I said, yeah, I know there's a problem with your face. Yeah. I love that quote. Here's a little bit of a hole I had later on when uh, Jack and Wang have been tied to wheelchairs and Thunder basically has them under lock and key. Uh, Jack uses his knife to get out of the wheelchair. Uh, They they didn't search him. Yeah, I thought I totally forgot about that. Yeah, they, I thought the same thing. I'm like, did you pat him down? Yeah, kind of. That'd be that'd be something they probably should have done. Yeah, it wasn't in a secret, secret place, right? <laughs> just, like, just sitting in his boot. Uh, I like that. It wasn't in like the secret, secret place. We we all know what that is, don't right. we? Though? Yeah. The secret, secret place. The secret, secret place. <laughs> um, Jack in the wheelchair when he starts going, you know, flying down the. Uh, the ramp backwards and almost falls down the well. And he does that with it where he wheels himself back up also slowly, which I still don't know how he does, but it takes tremendous strength. I still don't know quite how that works, but he clearly makes it back up. Does he have to do the kind of where he slowly moves forward and then jumps out of the chair and kicks it backward right, into dramatic. the well? Yeah. It never made sense. Even as a kid, I was like, dude, you could just stand up, man. <laughs> you don't have to, do this like dramatic thing. Like you're about to roll back again. You're mm-hmm. fine. You're on level ground. Anyway, then after that, when they go to rescue Gracie and Margot from the uh, cages where the, all the other women are being held hostage for, I st- I'm still confused about this. Why would Wang pretend to hold Eddie Lee hostage? I thought maybe he was trying to confuse the guards that Eddie was a worker there. That, that was my initial thought. Thought. Yeah, I, I don't know. It's just because they're, I was like, Wang, Eddie, Jack, they're all bad guys in the eyes of the bad guys. So mm-hmm. it just seemed odd. But I understood the tactic 
And I'm like, you're just holding one of your own hostage. Wouldn't they know that? They don't know who. Anyway, here we go. This is a running theme for me. Once again, you know, with all, when they release the hostages there, all the ladies are following Jack and Wang and Gracie and Margot out and they're escaping. They jump into the water and go underneath to in a tunnel. They're all diving into the water. And just once again, Bill Bant, oh, terrible yeah. diving display. Yes. This time by Kim Cattrall diving into the water, just belly flopping. Yep. Come on, guys. We need a consultant. We need a professional diver, somebody to instruct these people. Because I had a real issue with Michael Douglas at the end of Romance in the Stone doing a belly flop dive. Mm-hmm. I, come on, guys. Let's fix this. Did nobody dive in the 80s? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Two of the three storms, they go out like bitches in this movie. <laughs> they go down. They go out like bitches. Thunder <laughs> just emotionally can't contain himself after seeing that Lopin has been killed. And he decides to inflate himself to the point of blowing up. And uh, is that that's his death scene? Yeah. And then lightning. Well, Egg Shen just has to drop a Buddha statue on him and he's dead. Mm-hmm. Well, that's not a, not a great finale for those two guys who are built up to be these supreme villains and henchmen throughout the film. And then, as we already covered, uh, the song of the credits, "Sweet Baby Jesus." That's all I got. Let's move on. All right, let's do it. Uh, so, moving on to our next segment, it's "Hey, it's that actor." Um, here we spotlight a character actor, an actor making their big screen debut, or someone who makes an uncredit cameo. Jason, who's your "Hey, it's that actor" for Big Trouble in Little China? All right, so I so I was so long winded on the last segment. I'm going to be short winded. On this, my hey, it's that actor is Al Leong, who was the Wing Kong Hatchet Man. That's how he is credited in this film. He's also Uli in Die Hard, as well as numerous other action films. Um, he's great. Oh yeah, you always see him pop up, and you're like, hey, it's that guy. Yeah, and most of the time, he never has a line of dialogue. I think no. Or, the yeah. weapon is probably one of the few where I remember mm-hmm. him actually saying something. And you're like, oh, thank God. Hopefully he got a, a pay a pay bump there. <laughs> exactly. So certainly over the course of this podcast, he may be our Hey, It's That Actor at least 15 times. <laughs> I was thinking about that. Because <laughs> I, I, I thought about using him too, but I'm like, sure, we're going to see him so many other movies. I'm going to have to put them in my back pocket for now. But and I'm pretty no, sure I waited goal. on him once when I was waiting tables a long, long time ago. Oh, really? Like 20 years ago. Yeah. Oh, that's hilarious. It's great. I'm like, oh, it's that guy. <laughs> <laughs> so my, um, hey, it's that actor. She made her uh, screen debut in Big Trouble in Little Try, or film debut, was uh, Kate Burton, who played Margot, who was oh, the yeah, reporter. Sure. Um, I didn't realize this. She was the daughter of Richard Burton. Oh, no kidding. Yes. She wasn't the daughter of Jack Burton? That would have been weird. Yeah, exactly. No. <laughs> so she's our uh, Richard Byrne. And her career has really taken off in the last 20 years. She's a three-time Emmy nominee. And here's some of the shows she's been in the last uh, 20 years. She's been recurring characters in The Practice, Rescue Me, Law and Order, The Good Wife, Veep, Scandal, and Grey's Anatomy. So sure. she is all over television. Damn. Um, Good for but, her. Yeah, she has that face. I mean, you know it immediately. Yeah. But the funny thing is, too, even though I made her, she's my hey, it's that actor, was she really needed in the film at all? She serves no point except to give some exposition, which one of the other characters could have done. 
She well, Eddie Lee needed a love interest. Right. Uh, but I even thought about that. I'm like, yeah, we really Is didn't Eddie need Eddie Lee necessary? No, the two of them were not needed in this <laughs> film at all. But Still, Kay Burton is my hands that actor. It's great, man. It's great. Let's move on to fun facts and trivia. Got it. Um, so the first fun fact we kind of already mentioned before about the opening scene uh, was added after Prince of Photography was shot. What was interesting, though, the original script for Big Trouble in Little China was written as a Western. Yep. That was supposed to take place in San Francisco. And then they would... You would Turn of the century, San Francisco. Yeah. And then we would uh, be introduced to the whole Chinese underworld. And then when John Carpenter got his hands on it, he wanted to make it a present day film. Yeah. And there was a big battle over the screenwriting credit because of that. Gary Goldman and David Weinstein were the original screenplay writers. And according to Carpenter and others, that screenplay was terrible. (laughs) (laughs) uh, They had W.D. Richter step in and update it. And Richter then... They couldn't decide who was getting credit. So Goldman and Weinstein actually end up getting the writing credit. And I think Richter gets an adaptation credit. Something happened, but Carpenter was still upset and saddened that uh, Richter didn't get the actual writing credit. But yeah, there was a writer's guild issue there. So yeah, Um, not the first time that's happened. Yeah, right. Mm -hmm. So here's a little tidbit for you, a little education. This is the educational moment of our podcast Low Pan in this film is cursed with what's called incorporeality. Incorporeality is, quote, the state or quality of being incorporeal or bodiless, immateriality, incorporealism. Incorporeal means not composed of matter, having no material existence. So that's like a thing. Wow. In religion, fantasy, you know, incorporeality. I thought that was interesting. I'm going to use that as my word of the day tomorrow and see if I can use that in normal conversation somehow. <laughs> you say, when nobody's paying attention to you, yeah. like at work, you just mm-hmm. be like, oh, I feel so incorporeal. Yeah. What? You mean, you don't know what that, you mean like not composed of matter, having no material existence? Yeah, yeah. that's what I feel like. Yeah, there you go. Uh, so we talked about Drew Struzan's uh, great poster art. This film was, uh, they rushed it to get it out because it just so happened that The Golden Child starring Eddie Murphy was about to be released. And what a coincidence that two major films with major stars happen to have this strange cross genre with uh, involving uh, Chinese uh, culture and yeah. lore and mythology. Which John Carpenter says uh, was probably not a coincidence. Yeah, I think uh, definitely Victor Wong was in both of them, right? Was James Hong in both too? Oh, it could have been. Yeah, I definitely know Victor Wong was in both. I can't remember if James Hong was in The Golden Child also. Yeah. Yeah, so a little fun tidbit. So Kurt Russell uh, was very sick one, one of the days on the set. And he had 104 fever. So it's the scene in Gracie Law's apartment after they come back from the uh, White Tiger. So, yeah, they didn't need the misters on him. That was actual right. sweat. Really sweating. Yeah. yeah. And, I went, and now watching that and then seeing that whole scene where Kim Cattrall kind of like bends down and kind of like just talking about, like, yeah, I was trying to find a reporter. I'm like, 
yeah, don't get too close to his face or you're going to end up with that fever. <laughs> Whatever he's got, you're going to catch that too. Maybe that's why, you, yeah, you wouldn't kiss her at the end. There you go. So we know that this film bombed. Big time. It was um, suffered from circumstance to uh, Aliens is released. What was it? Six weeks after this came out? Something this came 16 out 16 days or something 16, like that? Yeah, this came out the 4th, July 4th weekend. And Aliens came out, I believe it was on the 20th. Okay. So that doesn't help. Mm-hmm. But the film bombed. It was torn apart by the critics. And as a result, John Carpenter became disillusioned with Hollywood after the failure of film. And uh, I'm quoting here from Wikipedia. This was a quote from John Carpenter. The experience of Big Trouble in China was the reason I stopped making movies for the Hollywood studios. I won't work for them again. I think Big Trouble is a wonderful film and I'm very proud of it. But the reception it received and the reasons for that reception were too much for me to deal with. I'm too old for that sort of bullshit. Yeah, it was his last studio film. And then he just went back to be being an independent filmmaker. Yeah, so this will be my, my last fun fact. And uh, we kind of touched on the, the wheelchair scene, which to me was... I do remember that from the uh, commercials too, where he's just, you know, going down the wheelchair and he's trying to hold on to the side of the wall, not to fall in the well. Yep. That is actually a forced perspective shot. So Kurt Russell is actually on a flat surface. That was not angled at all. Oh, cool. Yeah. The walls are built in a way. So it looks like the walls are getting, you know, higher and higher as it goes down, but it's really a shot. And then they had him on a rig to pull him back so it looks like he's shooting down this hill and then the oh. well itself is only like a foot and a half deep and it's just built in a way where you know the deeper it goes down it, it just goes into a, a smaller circle yeah so yeah it was just it was just deep enough for the wheelchair to fit in so i, I never knew that's that. great and then when watching it i was like oh man that's so genius here you're That's thinking cool. it's really a hill, but the whole time, yeah, it's it's just a flat surface. And even they do the scene where they're you know pushing him up, and they're they're acting like you know he's heavy because they're pushing up a hill. And I'm like, no, they just pushed him across a, a a flat floor. So next time you watch that, yeah, kind of check out the walls, and you'll see it's it's just built in a way so it looks like it's slanted, but the whole yeah. time it's a flat surface. Uh, that's awesome. Uh, speaking of uh, visual effects, I would be remiss not to give a shout out to. Uh, the visual effects supervisor on this film, Richard Edlund of Star Wars fame, worked oh, yeah. alongside John Dykstra on Star Wars. Mm-hmm. So, guy knows what he's doing. A mm-hmm. um, few other things real quick. Uh, the Chinese characters in the main title, when the main title appears, the Chinese characters translate to, evil spirits make a big scene in little spiritual state. <laughs> uh, some casting notes. Kurt Russell turned down Highlander to be in this. Uh, the studio had suggested either Jack Nicholson or Eastwood play the role of Jack Burton, but neither were available. Uh, Jackie Chan was Carpenter's first choice for Wang. Egg Shen's office, his big office later in the film, is the mm-hmm. same building they used for the office in Ghostbusters. Oh, okay. And both Kim Cattrall and Susie Pai, who played Miao Yen, wore green eye contacts. Neither of them have green eyes. They both have brown eyes. And that's all I got. Oh, yeah. And then they had to wear those white contacts, which I'm sure they love doing, because I'm sure you cannot see a thing with those things in. And then 
trying to get around set must have been a nightmare. Yeah, no kidding. All right. Um, so moving on to box office, um, as we said, this is the reason why this is considered a cult film. So the budget for this film was estimated around $25 million. Total box office take, all said and done, only 11.1. Ouch. Yeah. It took a beating. When yeah. it debuted on July 4th, 1986, it was number 12, which is horrible. And it was not a good weekend for movies that debuted that week. Um, it came out the same weekend as Psycho 3, The Great Mouse Detective, About Last Night, and Under the Cherry Moon. All those movies bombed that weekend. Oof. Yeah. So, yeah, it did not do, do well at the box office, made all its money once it hit the VHS um, shelves and became the cult classic what it is. So, that yeah, that is a definite cult classic, a movie that totally bonds its box office and then picks up steam once it hits uh, the retail rental market. Uh, moving on to our at-the-movie segment. So, when we were kids, our big thing was watching Siskel and Ebert so we could see some clips of the film and how they rated the movie. Siskel and Ebert gave this two thumbs down. Um, Siskel's <laughs> main critique was he thought there was just way too many special effects, which I didn't think it was that. It didn't no. seem that effects heavy. Nope. No. no. And Ebert's uh, main uh, contention with the film was, he's, where, where's the story? There's, there's no story. Yeah. Which, as a kid, I didn't care. I just wanted to see all the action films. But yeah, watching it now, you really had to, I really had to sit and pay attention because action explains stuff. Action so I, I could see where he was coming from because I have had to watch this a lot of times in order to really understand what is going on. I, you know, and you'd mentioned that at the beginning of the pod and I agree with that. However, that I think is the magic of this film is it doesn't have to make sense. It's that much fun. Like I honestly could care less almost about the plot. It just, I go along with, even on this rewatch, I had to go back and like, okay, David Lopan did what? Who is he again? What's the lore? What's the story? What's his curse? What God? What emperor? Do I give a shit? No, because I'm just purely entertained. This is a popcorn movie. It's eye candy. It's rock and roll. And it's weird. And it's got some cool effects and just really cool lines. It's silly. It's hilarious. I don't know. Yeah, I'll be honest. I I had to watch it twice, and I'm still not sure who he had to yeah. sacrifice. I'm like, who's he has to appease for this curse? I was going to ask you earlier, but we didn't get into it. Yeah, it's 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 convoluted. No. Even in trying to read it on Wikipedia or IMDb, I'm just like, I get bored halfway through. I'm like, yeah, I don't care. No, exactly. I get it. He's disembodied, and he needs the Green Eyed Girl for some reason to become human again. That's it. In a nutshell, and all the other stuff. Who cares? Who cares? Yeah. Let, me, let me see some fighting. Let me see some Jack Burtonness. <laughs> I need some Jack Burtonness. Yeah, Jack Burtonness. All right. Uh, final thoughts, Jason. Man, just from the get again with Kurt Russell in the truck on the CB. Who's he talking to? I don't know. He's putting it out over the airwaves, but that's what CB written. That's the trucker talk. They just put it out there because they got to keep themselves busy, you know? And uh, uh, everything he says about the pork chop express and just like old Jack Burton says, you know, it's amazing. Hauling ass on the front of that truck. Kurt Russell selling it, really selling this movie. Any of you out there, email us, tweet us. If you can tell me what the logo is on his tank top in this movie, 
And please explain to me what those boots are all about. Please tweet us, email us. I'd love to hear your explanation. A quote, few quotes here that uh, we haven't covered. One uh, after both Burton and Wang are almost run down by the Lords of Death in their car in the parking garage. And <laughs> they just jump out of the way in the last moment. Jack Burton stands up and says, son of a bitch must pay. <laughs> Can't get enough. I thought this was interesting that uh, Wang talks about the fact that the Chinese have several hells with a lot of different names. And this particular one is the hell of the upside down or the hell of the upside down sinners. I wonder if Stranger Things kind of borrowed this a little bit or if this was part of their 80s homage because a big part of their show is the upside down. Uh, this oh, okay. alternate, uh, basically, you know, hell, alternate universe. Bill Bamp, did you, were you aware there's a board game? There's a big trouble little China board game that was released in 2018 by no. Boom Studios. We have to get this game. Yes. Immediately. We have to track it down. I'm going to have to, I'm going to look on eBay after this. We have to buy this game. Yes. I need to it get that. It sounds amazing. And I know there's a Ghostbusters board game out there that I need to get my hands on too. So, is, yeah, we, but this, how is it? It was released like three years ago. Yeah, crazy. I love this movie. Uh, we'll get into, I'll let you cover your final thoughts and then we'll get into the remake questions. Oh, okay. Um, I, was actually, I was actually going to start off with some questions. So, sure. So, Jason, so this is the, the fourth of five collaborations between John Carpenter and Kurt Russell, as we mentioned yeah. in the beginning. So, um, they did an Elvis TV movie together. Uh, Escape from New York, Escape from L.A., The Thing, and this. Which one is your favorite? This is my favorite. Um, the Thing would be a close second. If I got to watch The Thing, we got to do The Thing. Yeah, we got to do The Thing. I love The Thing. I really do. You're going to have to ask me again after we do that one. <laughs> but I, I, I was so thoroughly entertained. This movie, watching this movie really made my day, man. This is just a real pleasure. I I adore this movie. He's so, uh, it's just great. So I'm, I'm going with this one. Okay. What's yours? Mine's the thing. Yeah. Super creepy. The special effects are just so outlandish and, and fun. And, and I whole, hear the music too right now. Oh, yeah. The whole isolation. Yeah. that, that That's definitely my favorite of, of all of them. Uh, so then let me ask ending. you this. A favorite character though, Jack Burton. Or Snake Plissken? Oof. I'm, this is going to be a shocker to a lot of those out there. I am not a huge Escape from New York fan. Really? It has its place. I understand. I have respect for it. I need to watch it again. I haven't watched it in years, to be honest. I don't know what it is about it. I got to give it a fair chance, though, again. I got I to gotta rewatch it. So... I got to go with, with Jack Burton right now. Jack Burton. There you go. Yeah. I, Are you big, big escape from New York guy? Yes. Yeah. I mean, the more I watch it, the more holes I kind of find in it. But I just remember watching it as a kid and just, and just kind of loving it. The concept is fantastic. Obviously. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and, it, and it's hilarious, too, that the special effects in the first one are way better than the special effects what the hell happened there? Exactly. Guess, guess who a has mess. a cameo in the in the second one? You yeah, mentioned Bruce, him earlier. Yeah, Bruce Campbell, our guy. Yep. But yeah, my my, my final thoughts about this film. Um, I still love it. I think it's a lot of fun. I totally see it on a different level 
but Kurt Russell's still hysterical in it. I would say if you have not seen it, definitely go check it out. Do yourself a favor. Yeah. And like I said, it's very hard to understand. I mean, there is a basic plot that kind of goes through, but trying to figure out the deep dive of what all this, the mythology and all that, just don't even bother. You don't, you don't need to know. All you just need yep. to know is Lil Pan needs a girl with green eyes in order to become flesh. That's it. That's fine. All that other stuff, just, just push it aside. Cause if you try to think of that, it's just, it just gets too confusing. Yeah. But um, yeah, I would definitely recommend uh, 10 and up and uh, you'll, you'll just love it. And I know they, they did make a comic book series. Right. Of it that literally starts from that last scene of the film. And I need to get my hands on that just to see how they continue that story. And I know you wanted to bring up the possible remake or whatever. So I'll let you ask. Well, question. yeah. So that's the question. Cause you know, we live in a time now when everything is either reboot remake or a sequel. Uh, it's just the nature of the biz. So uh, for better or worse. So, you know, they're going to get around to this at some point. And of course, hasn't been that long ago. I think it was in 2016 when Dwayne Johnson was already wanting to do this with his production company. And they were still discussing it, I think, in 2018. Carpenter wasn't totally on board, but uh, I haven't heard anything about it since. But my question to you is, should they do a remake? Should it be a reboot? Should it be a sequel? The Dwayne Johnson project was going to be a sequel, not replacing Oh, okay. Russell as Jack Burton, it would be a different character, but it would be a sequel picking up from where the first had left off. Could it be a series? And if you say yes, I'm just going to say, who would you cast in the role of Jack Burton or the new lead character? Or would it even be a man? Would it be a female? Oh, yeah. I don't think they should remake the movie. It's just, It would just be disappointing. That's the correct answer, Bill. Yeah. <laughs> And this, like I said, this one bombs so bad. Why do they think if they remake it, it's going to make money? That that doesn't make any sense to me because they're going to spend seventy to one hundred and ten million dollars on it, and it's just not it's just not going to fly. The fact that they did a sequel with a different character, but like I said, like I literally just said earlier, the myth- mythology of this was so confusing. Mm-hmm. I don't know how you could re, I don't know. I, I think they should just, they got to leave it alone. They got to leave it alone. Maybe a series, maybe a TV series. Well, that's where I'm going. Uh, a remake a or reboot is completely unnecessary. Should not do it. A sequel. It's tough. I would prefer to see a kind of a tongue in cheek almost or fun offshoot sort of side story series. Now, Cobra Kai has been wonderful. That is not a side story or an offshoot is dealing with the main protagonists from the Karate Kid film, but it still, it gets, it knows what it is and it gets it as fun. That's kind of how I would see this series being that, like, let's take a side character, side character that you really didn't pay attention to much at all, but somehow either goes back to China and really gets into the lore of some kind. So it's loosely connected to this universe. Right. Uh, but not trying to recreate the original film. 
Yeah, because, I mean, with Lopan gone, you'd have to have another, you know, Chinese mythical character that they would Which have to I'm introduce. Sure would be easy. I'm sure you could yeah. pick and choose. But, and I think the name of the, the series, it has to just, it just simply has to be called The Pork Chop Express. The Pork Chop Express. <laughs> that was another idea I had is that somehow it has to do, like, it stems from the Pork Chop Express, like, delivery service. Mm-hmm. Now, was that Porkchop Express, was that just the name of his truck? Do you think that was actually the name of the business he was working for, right? I He's thought it was the name pork of pork to Chinatown. Oh, I always thought it was just the name of his truck. But what you're saying kind of makes sense. Because that's why he's there, right? I mean, he's he's delivered yeah. like he, yeah, he's yeah. hauling a truck that's and true. he drops yeah. it off. Yeah, you see, like he's just driving a bobtail for the rest. Because I for a second I was like, what happened to his truck? And then it was like, oh, yeah, he was making a delivery. He just dropped off the delivery. I think in that opening scene, you, you see them literally take a pig they're, off that truck. Yeah, they're unloading the truck. Yeah. Right. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's the Pork Chop Express. You know, that's one of those things. Again, as a kid, I just didn't give a shit about that, right? Right. And now I'm paying attention to it. Yeah, I really thought it was the name of his truck, but yeah, it could be the name of the business, the Pork Chop Express. I just think that would be a fantastic name for mm-hmm. a big trouble in Little China series. <laughs> uh, so here's my last thing on that is that I was thinking today, what if they did try to do a reboot of this? Who would I cast in it? You know who came to mind? He's did, And he's kind of our leading man right now is Chris Hemsworth. I just, I know he could pull it off. I think he's got chops. Mm-hmm. I think he's actually got great comic timing. And you see it in Thor Ragnarok. He's actually... A really, really talented actor. Mm-hmm. I'm a big Chris Hemsworth fan. And funny enough, at the end of the research I was doing on Wikipedia, New Zealand director Taika Waititi had cited Big Trouble in Little China as an influence on Thor Ragnarok. Oh, hilarious. I was like, oh, there you go. Yeah. All right, Bill Bantz. Any other final thoughts? No, I don't think so. Yeah, I think we'll close it out. Uh, everyone, thank you for listening so much. You can email us at all80smoviespodcast at gmail.com. Uh, please send us your feedback, questions, or recipes to share. You can follow us on Facebook at all80smoviespodcast. Join us again next week as we discuss the 1983 coming-of-age film, Risky Business, starring Tom Cruise and Rebecca DeMonet. Until then, have a totally great week, everyone. Good night. Thanks for listening. Good night, world.